The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. We're so glad that you've joined us for another podcast of the Four Horsemen. Adam Black, <laughs> Ben Kerfman, and I'm Dennis Thurman hosting this edition. Terry Hollifield could not be with us. He is resting his brain and his mouth. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and perhaps even his body. We do not know at this point. But hopefully he'll be with us for a future podcast. But if you want to, to find out something about church membership and what it's all about, then that's what we're going to be discussing in this podcast. I'm convinced that the church will never fulfill its responsibilities with irresponsible members because members are the church. So we're going to talk about how we can help people embrace those responsibilities that are biblical, which produce practical results in their lives and in the community. So let me begin this way. Is membership really a big deal? Because some people will say, you know, I'm part of the universal church. I worship God in nature. I listen to uh, XYZ celebrity preacher on uh, TV and so forth. So, so what about it? Is membership a big deal? Why or why not? Uh, Adam, I'm going to start with you with that one. Absolutely. It's a big deal because you, you can't do this alone. Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And so I think that when we're talking about discipleship and, and things of that nature, you need people in your life to pour into and you need to pour into others and disciple others. So I think it's, it's critical. Um, to be a member uh, of a local church. And it's biblical, I think. So, Ben, to follow up on that, I think you would certainly agree that it's a big deal, but I'm going to be even more specific with you. Is it a big deal in the church you serve? It's a huge deal. And, and how is that? What makes it so? Well, we take church membership very seriously. Being in a church where the members have to affirm other members, so in our church, the way that our church government is set up, the members vote members in and out. They vote on the annual budget and they select their leaders. In order for a person to join our church, you know, normally they're regularly attending, so they know the church, but they have to read our statement of faith and they have to be in agreement with that. They have to sit down with uh, at least two of the elders and do an interview process where they share their testimony of how they became a Christian and ask any questions that they have about the church or how the church operates. They get a copy of our constitution and bylaws that they have to read through and understand how things work in the church. And if all of that seems well and their testimony seems credible and uh, they don't have any kind of major doctrinal conflicts, then the elders would recommend them to the church to be voted in as members. And then the members have an opportunity to ask questions or share concerns or anything like that. And then the, the congregation would have to affirm that that person uh, is a member. The same thing would happen in reverse if there was a reason why a person needed to be removed from membership or if they're transferring their letter somewhere or they move out of the state or something like that. That also has to be affirmed by the members. And so we try to keep a, a tight front door and back door because the members have authority in the church. So uh, if our church was an elder-ruled church where the members didn't have a say in anything, then membership wouldn't really be that important because the elders could just do pretty much whatever they wanted. But in our context, our members have the opportunity to weigh in on a lot of things. And so we don't want to just hand that to anybody. We want it to be somebody who's like-minded and, and takes membership as seriously as we do. So the, the issue of authority is huge. And I think, first of all, that's one of the major reasons why people don't want to join a local church. They don't want to be told what to do. I mean, as little children, saying no is something we learn to speak way before we learn to say yes. If you've had the joy of teenagers in your home, you know that uh, rebellion is woven into the very fabric of their existence. And then uh, you don't grow out of that altogether. 
And I think also the American mindset, flying a flag that says, don't tread on me. These colors don't run. Amen, brother. That whole whole attitude of that rugged individualism, that uh, libertarian uh, philosophy. Uh, those those ideas that that nobody's going to make me do nothing, that that carries over into why people don't want to become part of a local church. They want to just kind of drift in, get their little dose of religion, uh, pat themselves on the back. But the commitment level is about zilch. So do you see that that matter of authority is a real issue that's going to be addressed? Adam, what do you think? I think it depends on the authority. I mean, I think that if, you know, as a pastor, if I tried to rule with an iron fist, I wouldn't want to be in that church. So I think when um, grace and truth and love are all demonstrated from the leader, the pastor, then it would be easy, I think, because you're, you're getting correction out of love and grace and because they want what's best for you, um, kind of like a shepherd. And so, but I do think, and I've seen people that, and even pastors, for example, that that, that think that they are the uh, they're going to rule with an iron fist, and the first things out of their mouth is church discipline, and that's what they want to talk about all the time is church discipline. I'm not looking to. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to join up <laughs> with that. Um, We've so. had people join our church just because of church discipline. Really. <laughs> yeah. But but, but, but you, I would agree that's a rare <laughs> that's a very yeah but rare, you guys rare. are you guys aren't trying to hammer people yeah we're not we, uh, we don't have like the the elder chairs in the front of the sanctuary and stare at people during preaching <laughs> so we can zap somebody which by the way your church probably has those if you're Southern Baptist you've got chairs next to the altar table in the front that's what those are for we, we do not there do not a lot this. of churches do that I'm and, trying to get rid of that table um, by the way the uh, the elder the elders are, the elders that you don't have in your church are supposed to be sitting in those chairs watching people during preaching to see if they get under conviction <laughs> we don't do, we don't do that anymore we just left the furniture there so actually we took those out of I didn't know too, that but, but interesting fact yeah yeah well we're not talking about tyranny mm-hmm. ultimately what we hopefully all understand is that Jesus is the head of Correct. the church and authority flows from him according to the word of God that people receive. But I'm a conduit through which that word is expressed, where those duties, responsibilities are held up. If I'm, as a pastor, I'm not going to address those issues, then uh, people are, are not going to know what they're accountable for. You're going to have anarchy. Well, I think I think you hit on something important, Dennis, and that <laughs> is that the immediate association with authority and tyranny kind of points out that worldview of most people now don't they don't have a healthy view of authority because when we when we hear authority we hear great britain taxing us to death but we want socialism you know what yeah yeah everybody's their own authority (laughs) fundamentally authority is someone has the right to tell you to do something that you don't want to do like if somebody's only telling you to do things you want to do then you don't really need them Authority is when somebody can tell you to do something that you don't want to do and they actually have the right to make you do it. For instance, when we say that Jesus is our Lord and not just our Savior, that means we must obey his commands. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Or why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? And so Jesus has that authority, but a lot of people don't like the idea of a pastor having authority in that way over them spiritually, which is the reason why in a lot of churches, when you talk about that authority issue, Dennis, a lot of pastors don't have real authority in their churches. And I think some of that is historical, like we talked about before when you had circuit riding preachers. If I'm only showing up you know, once every four or five weeks to preach a sermon, I don't know the people in that church well enough to really know what's going on in their lives. I don't really uh, have enough influence with them to, to try to tell them what they should do or offer guidance. And so just kind of out of necessity, it was really hard for a pastor to have authority in the local church. And then if the deacons were managing the affairs of the church in the pastor's absence, then they kind of become the go-to guys if there's an issue in the church. And we've carried that over historically, but biblically, that's really not the way that it's designed to be. But at the same time, the reason why a lot of churches are unhealthy is because their pastors don't have the authority to tell people to do something they don't want to do. That's ultimately what it comes down to is in a lot of churches— when the pastor says or does something or makes a decision for the good of the church, 
the members have the ability to run the pastor out. And then you have these churches that stay in two-year pastor cycles and just death spiral for decades and can't get healthy and can't get corrected because every time they get a man in there that tries to lead, they just they buck that leadership. And that's yeah. something that we see in a lot. And so I think that authority is a huge piece to it. Well, and I understand that, but let's let's talk about the authority in a, a congregational government, which I believe is what Scripture teaches. It does not exclude elders from leadership, but the selection of those elders rests in the body and confronting them if they're in error, uh, where you have at least two witnesses and yeah. that public confrontation. So the congregation... I think should have the authority to dismiss a pastor if they need to, to confront them about an issue. Oh, absolutely. And I would agree with that. I would just say that a lot of churches do not do that in a biblical way. The scripture gives us instruction on if you need to rebuke an elder, here's how you need to go about right. it. Well, there are reasons for rebuking. Is right. Yeah. Issue. So so you don't, you don't rebuke an elder for installing a piece of technology in the sanctuary or moving a piece of furniture. We want to that's change the, the time of services from right. 930 to 10 o'clock. <laughs> that's, oh, no. that's not what you rebuke an elder for. You rebuke an elder for doing something that is disqualifying him from being an elder. So it's biblical. Exactly. Right. And so, and so that's, that's my whole thing is, is our, and I totally agree, Dennis, the congregation needs to have the authority to rebuke an elder. And, of course, if there's a plurality of elders, then those other elders need to agree with the congregation in rebuking a brother who disqualifies himself. Most of the church experiences that I've had and that I've heard about uh, when an elder or a pastor is being removed, it's not a they haven't biblically disqualified themselves. Usually they've exposed some kind of sin in the church or they've provoked the immaturity of, of some members in a lot of cases. But there are cases where a pastor does need to be removed, and he has disqualified himself. And that is why I would not advocate for an elder-ruled church, because I don't think that there's enough accountability for the pastors in that model. I think that's absolutely true. So let's get back to the authority as it applies to church members. So if you are a, a member of a church, you have come in under authority, where that congregation has had to affirm your testimony. And upon hearing that in a credible confession of conversion, baptism, you become part of the ones that are going to affirm the next group or the next person that comes along. And so that authority to decide who gets in and who gets put out rests in the congregation. The authority of who those leaders are going to be rests in the congregation for the appointment of those elders. And, and in all of this, I think the level of scrutiny then given to a member is going to be a very important one so that you get the the caliber of people that are, number one, genuinely converted and that are willing to use that authority in a proper uh, proper way when they, when they gather together. They've been given the keys of the kingdom uh, in the sense mm-hmm. to open and close, to open the doors of the church and to close them. And in doing that, uh, Jesus has said, that he would be in our midst when we gather together. Now, that requires a local assembly. That can't be, how could you do that in this, quote, universal church? Now, I do believe that there's a global body of Christ, all the saints, all those who are regenerate. But typically, in the New Testament, we're talking about a local congregation, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica. It's that local group. You could not have that kind of, of accountability, that kind of oversight of the members with, without that. Think, for instance, about various metaphors that are used in the New Testament concerning the church and, and what those teach us about membership. Th- throw, out, throw out one that comes to mind and tell me how that applies to membership. Well, the body. Okay, the body. Okay. There are different members of the body. You know, Christ is the head and... If you think about it from an actual physical standpoint, each part of your body has a different function, but an equal importance. Cut off your hand, you're going to be disabled. So uh, I think that's one. So without that connection, the impulse is flowing from the head to tell the hand what to do, but then that hand working in conjunction with the muscles, with the nerves, Mm -hmm. with the circulatory system, all those kind of things for the health of the whole body. Again, some isolated person out there that's just 
worshiping God at the lake, you know, in my boat while I'm fishing. Right on visitation in their boat. Yeah, yeah, you know, you you don't have that connection. Right. Uh, It's it's just not possible. So they're a severed limb that's out there that is of no earthly good. Well, I think one of the things that I think is important with that, and and I've had this discussion with some good friends of mine, but, you know, they, they will attend a church they will simply attend a church and will stay at a distance, you know, and their main reason is, is really the entertainment value. But what's amazing to me is when a trial occurs in their life, something happens in their life. They're all alone at that point. That entertainment value is, is really worthless. And um, that's why it's so vital to have a church family to care for you and love for you. You know, and acts, it says, you know, they gave if uh, when anyone had need, well, how would anyone have need if you're not a part of it? Um, and so I think that's a, a big aspect of being a member of a local church is is going through trials and having people be there for you, bring a meal to you. You know, when we um, with my oldest daughter, she was a twin and we lost a twin. She was born premature on and on. But man, our church loved on us. I mean, it was unbelievable how much they cared for us. And, and I just I, I don't know how people could go through things like that. Without those people around you, I mean, yeah. in, in in the spiritual component of praying for you and things of that nature. So it's not even a, a an accountability standpoint. It's more, man, we're family. Yeah, we're, mi- we're doing ministry. this together. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's another one you you brought up. Not just the body, but family. A family is not just an isolated person out there. You know, some hermit living all alone. You've got a group of folks who have that connection by what birth, adoption. Uh, covenant relationship, these things that brought them together as a family. And that's certainly true of a church in the way it ought to be uh, as as members, that we're not meant to be alone, that we do this thing uh, together. Ben, can you think of another word picture in the New Testament concerning the church? How about as a building, as God's temple? Yeah, Paul talks about how we're, we're all a brick in the wall. <laughs> and uh, Pink Floyd reference. Yeah, yeah. And I don't listen to that devil music. Amen. Unless he's on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> That's right. I'm on the light side, brother. Uh, anyways. Well, <laughs> well delete all that out. Yeah. Um, what what, so, a, what about a brick out there by itself? What good is it? It's no good. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything. It's not participating in anything. It's. It's definitely not accomplishing the purpose that it was created for. And I think you know in that in that same illustration christ is the cornerstone he's, he's the chief cornerstone that all these other stones are built upon and paul even talks about the foundation that he laid of christ that you know others are coming in after him and building on that foundation and so we know that we're inheriting the local church now from the apostles from the early church now from two thousand years of gospel ministry and the work of the local church that we've inherited a lot of those things and that we're continuing to build on that history with Christ being the center focus of that. I think you could really go into that illustration in a lot of ways, try not to go off on a tangent. One of the problems is if you're not connected to the other bricks in that building, that you might start building your own building with, with the wrong cornerstone, or you might make yourself the cornerstone, Bishop of Rome. <laughs> and, and that's where we've had problems in the, in the past in the history of the churches. Uh, Paul even deals with it. Listen, some of you are saying, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow uh, Apollos. Paul's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize any more of you than I did. Because the whole point is, he's like, listen, uh, you, you were you were baptized into Jesus. Uh, you are in Christ. You're not in Paul. You're not in Peter. You're not in the Southern Baptist Convention you know, or the United Methodist Church or whatever. You're in Christ. But at the same time, how do I know that I'm in Christ? Well, one of the ways that I know that I'm in Christ is I'm joined to his people. Absolutely. I think Augustine was one of the first ones to talk about it, but there's a visible church and an invisible church. So the visible church is what we see physically. The invisible church is what God sees spiritually. And so we know that there are people that we visibly see in church that may not be in the invisible church. As far as spiritually, they may not really be trusting in Christ. Now, we can't tell who that is and who that isn't. Only God knows that. But visibly, we see the people that are professing Jesus, that are that are... Uh, claiming faith in him. And so part of what membership does is we want to try to make the visible church as close to the invisible church as possible. 
Um, so the way I've told it to people is, is we want our church role to look like the roll up yonder. And uh, if we think that you're on the roll up yonder and as best we can tell you are, then you're welcome to be a member of this church. But if you indicate so a, that you're not on the roll up yonder, that you're written on a different list, right. um, then you don't need to be on our roll. But there's a biblical basis then for actually writing somebody's name on a list. I mean, they're keeping one up there. Yeah. Right. And you better be uh, have your name on that list. Well, and I think it's interesting. I was just reading an article the other day uh, by Matt Chandler, and he pointed out something that I had never really considered before. So he points out in Acts chapter 2 there at Pentecost that there's a numerical record of those who had professed Christ. Oh, yes. That it says 3,000. Well, how would they know that if they weren't keeping actually record. keeping some kind of record of that? I said that Sunday. Did he steal that from me? He must and they started out with 120 right. um, in the upper room. Right. And so so there's an actual, in the New Testament, they're actually tracking growth. Yes. And by the time you hey, get to Acts chapter 4, how many? 5,000. Yeah. yeah. How do they know? So, so that's the whole thing is there has to be some kind of record there. Taking names and counting noses. Yes. Well, and not only that, but then Paul says in Hebrews 13, to submit to those who are in authority over you because they're the caretakers of your souls. Okay, well, if I'm a pastor, who am I responsible for? I can't be the pastor of the universal church. I can't be the pastor of the whole invisible church because I don't know those people, (laughs) which is also the reason why membership is important because I tell people, um, when I first came to Barberville, we had 699 people on our roll, and 50 of them were dead. I don't want to have to answer for them before God and him say, hey, what about, especially the dead, ones. you know, so and so that hasn't been to the church in 30 years or is dead that I've never even met in my life. I'm like, can you tell me about how you were discipling that person? I don't want to have to tell Jesus. I don't know who that person is. I want to know who the people in my church are. And uh, and I want to give an account for that. And that was one of the arguments we made to our church when, when we started taking membership more seriously is, hey. If we're your pastor, we, we want to know what's going on with you, and we want to know where you're at, and we want you to know that you can come to us and that we're accessible to you. And if at any point that's not happening, then we're not really healthy as a church. Yeah, and, and that is another word picture in the New Testament of the church as a flock. And so as concerning all believers everywhere, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And so he knows his sheep. He calls them by name. Okay. So the local church then is to be a microcosm of that great flock. And so we have under shepherds, pastors who've been given responsibilities then to care for those sheep. And you need to know them by name. You need to walk among them. And if you uh, don't have that role, if you will, that local membership, if there's not a geographical connection as well as the, the spiritual one, how in the world can you serve those people? And we could get off a lot talking about multi-site and all that sort of thing. I'm not going, not going to go there. But, but I'm just saying for me, uh, having those people that I know, if I'm going to speak the truth in love to them each week, I've got to know what truth they need to hear. I've got to understand what's going on in their life. And if they're going to receive it, they have to know I love them. Shepherds smell like sheep. They, they do because they're they're among the sheep. It's a good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and the sheep know their shepherd. Right. Uh, even in that illustration where Jesus says he he said they'll they'll run away from a stranger. Exactly. And so, just like you said, Dennis, when you have to speak that truth or even that hard word to somebody, um, you don't want them to run away from that. You want them to hear that of you're in danger, and and I'm concerned about you, and I love you, and I and I want to help you get to a safe place. The pastor is a shepherd. He has two voices. He has one for the sheep and one for the wolves. And a pastor has a staff and a rod. You know, one one is to guide and to lead, and the other is to correct. And you have to do both with people. And the thing is, it's just like with your kids. If you discipline your kids and they don't know that you love them, that's abuse. If you'll guide them and correct them, but you don't discipline them, then you don't really love them. And so it's got to be both. And the only way that you can really use that rod and that staff in the church is to have that authority um, and the only way that the members can use those keys to the kingdom is to have the authority to tell somebody, you're in danger. Nobody hears that unless they're not in a good place spiritually. So if you're not submitting to the authority of the local church, then there's no accountability for you when you get in danger. And that's really why every believer needs to be the member of a local church, because you need to be accountable to somebody. 
and somebody needs to be your pastor that you know them and they know you. And like I said, that accountability, a lot of times we think of accountability as negative, but someone you're doing life with, I mean, that's the way I've kind it's of... It's not fun. No, I mean, and no, but it, and again, it's one of those deals where we look at accountability so much as quote-unquote discipline, which there is an element of that, but mm-hmm. on the flip side, it is, I'm here for you. If you need yeah. somebody, I'm here for you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's support, encouragement. It's kind of like coaching someone along. You know, mm-hmm. your, your coach, when you mess up... He's going to get on you, and he's going to tell you what you need to do differently. But also, when you make a successful play, then he's going to affirm that, and and he's going to, you know, in a very positive way, help you to become all that you want to be. And not just in terms of what happens on the field, but in, in life, if he's right. really mm-hmm. a really good coach. And so I think a lot of what we do within the, the confines of the church in terms of accountability is for exhortation. Mm-hmm. And the way I think about exhortation is it's a pat on the back when you need that. It's a kick in the rear when you need that. Right. And and the pastor has to have enough wisdom to know which is appropriate. And how to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another image I thought of is the uh, vine and the branch yeah. uh, connection. And so Jesus said, he's the true vine where the branches, branches, plural, I mean, you're not going to have much fruit out there if you just got one branch right. growing out of a vine. And so the Lord means for that connection spiritually to be with him, but then to other branches that are out there as well so that much fruit is being uh, produced. And without that connectiveness, I think we're missing the whole point of what Christianity is about, yeah. that it's about a connection that is real with Jesus and then his life flowing into us and every other believer, but especially manifested in that particular vineyard where where we may be. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. I think another uh, illustration is the olive tree of faith that Paul talks about, that there's this olive tree of Israel and that the Gentiles have been grafted in. And he reminds the Jews, you know, don't don't be arrogant because you're a part of the tree because you can be cast off. If you're a dead branch, you're going to get you know, pruned off, off and thrown in. But the at the same time, don't be arrogant if you're grafted in, because this wasn't your tree to begin with. You got put into the tree. But again, there's this idea of okay, well, what does it mean to be grafted in? Well, what that means is is that you are a part of the covenant that God made uh, with Adam and with Abraham, and that you're you're the recipient of the inheritance in Christ. That all the riches and glory are available to you through Christ. And so in being grafted into that, the local churches is, is one way that you're signifying that. So I, I told somebody recently, um, your baptism is a visible manifestation of an invisible reality in the sense of I'm a member of the, of the invisible church when I'm saved. When I trust in Christ, I'm, I'm, the Holy Spirit has regenerated me. I am in Christ. But nobody can see that because it's on the inside. So I confess that publicly with my mouth and also with my baptism of I am now uh, a part of the visible church, universal through my baptism. And once I do that, I am a member of the church invisible. But the way that I show myself that I'm a member of the visible church locally is through membership. So I identify myself visibly as a Christian, universally through baptism, but locally through membership. But but I would also hit on that, that that's a local expression because again the uh, you know CNN more than likely or Fox News is not going to broadcast your baptism worldwide. You're right. going to see those individual people, whether it be by a lake or river or in a church baptistry. Uh, but there's going to be that local dimension of testimony to the to your brothers and sisters that are out there. Would, wouldn't you agree? I would, and I would say that that's a that's a big reason why we need to take baptism seriously is the people that witness that are witnessing you publicly profess uh, Christ, which is also why you need to be a member of that church that you're being baptized in, because those are also the ones that have to hold you accountable of, hey, if your life at some point begins to testify that you are not in Christ, we saw you get baptized. So are you or are you not? And, and the local church has the right to ask you that of, was that baptism legit? Was that profession of faith legit? Or, you know, what was something else going on there? Because we need to know because we affirmed you that you were in Christ um, based on your testimony uh, and the the testimony of your life. 
And if at some point you're not doing that, then we have the right as your brothers and sisters in Christ to, to ask you whether that something has changed um, in that situation. I would say that that's a reason why we need to take uh, baptism extremely seriously. I also think that's a big challenge that we have in our culture today is because people are so transient. So it used to be when you got you grew up in the same church, you got baptized in the same church, and you stayed there the rest of your life, and so everybody knew everybody. I knew better. I got out. Um, well, and so now, so now that's the hard thing. You know, what do you do for the person that gets baptized when they're ten years old, and and they really are a believer, but you know they're going to move five times before they settle down and have a career and do all that kind of stuff. And do, now, does that mean that that's wrong for them to do that, or that they can't be in a good church? No. But I'm just saying that's a unique problem. Two thousand years ago, pe- people weren't so transient that they were just up and moving every two years to another congregation. Well, and, and when you think about the difficulties that are sometimes presented to a local congregation when somebody who's a very solid leader that you've poured into, and then they move off somewhere, uh, you know, it, it certainly leaves a void, but it also may leave a void in their life. And if we have that commitment to Christ, sometimes I think it might even require commitment to that church to say, I'm not going to take that promotion, even though I'm going to make some more money, because I'm not going to get my family in that particular setting, because I need to be here investing my life. So that's not meant to be judgmental. Now you're meddling, preacher. Well, I am, but it's not meant to be judgmental, but I think, does that even come to the forefront of people's thinking when they're making a decision about moving off somewhere i don't think so but shouldn't it i think it absolutely should i think going off of what we talked about last episode what if people made decisions of careers and things of that nature based on the great commission where can i make the most disciples you know i've i've had some folks that have expressed interest in coming to our church we're a complete revitalization situation but you know, as I've told them, I don't need attenders. I need people who want to make an impact and, and want to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And most have avoided it. Um, so I, I think the idea of having an impact and, and and something I was challenged with this week as I was preaching through Second Peter is, you know, I think for men in particular, I think all men, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that all men, should look to become a leader in their local church in some form or fashion, whether that's, uh, but, but I don't think guys think that way. I think guys, they, they want to, their mindset is at Somebody work. Somebody else will do it. Their mindset's at work or on the ball fields or anything like that. And so uh, the Great Commission is not anywhere on people's radar when they're making decisions, you know, and, and people who move churches based on a youth program, well, their kids are going to, move out of the youth program at some point. So if your goal in a church is to make a difference and make an impact, to serve, to minister, then it's going to be hard to actually leave a place, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I understand people move and things. Well, I and I think the only reason to move is it's great for, commission. Right. Yeah. You know, what if somebody's going to move, you know, to a place that's based, well, let's say New York City. You know, there's a lot of lost people in New York City. Right. And, and if, if they're going to take a job there, where they're going to to make a serious effort to to reach the pagans that are there, then you're you're sending them out as a missionary, right. and you mm-hmm. bless them, and that's a wonderful thing. And God's going to fill that that void that's left exactly. because you've been faithful to Him. Seek first the kingdom of God. But, but if somebody's just moving, maybe they're, they're going to uh, you know another place that's got a lot of wonderful churches there, and at least a nominal Christian environment, and they're just going there because. You know, I'm going to make a few more bucks an hour, or whatever. I, th- I think they need to think that through before they make that choice. Well, I know, like, like we have an example in our church right, right now. Shout out to Noah and Evan. They're two college students. That, Noah and Evan, you're <laughs> awesome. They uh, they just recently started attending our church because they selected their colleges based on proximity to like-minded churches. Wow. So they actually contacted me before they graduated high school and wanted information about our church and. All that kind of stuff, and picked you guys. Yes, man. How many times do you think that sort of thing happens? Uh, probably not very much. Not much. But I can tell you what: these are two young guys right out of high school, just started at college just last week, and already uh, they've been in small groups and that kind of thing. And you can tell uh, just by talking to them that the the level of spiritual maturity that they've they've been discipled well at home 
and in their uh, local church there. But that's an example where, you know, they made a big decision about college based on if I'm going to go to college, I need to make sure I can find a church to be heavily involved with during my college experience, which I really respect. Um, But what you're saying, Dennis, is that the church should actually have authority in my decisions outside of Sunday. And that is a very countercultural. Well, the Bible does. Yeah, it, it does. Should. I mean, I mean, it, that's it does, where it spawns but, from. But I think you're exactly right that when it comes to job decisions, relationship decisions, different things like that, a lot of people would say, "Well, that sounds really kind of overbearing and cultish, cultish." If you if you're supposed to go talk to your pastor about purchasing a house or in uh, reality, who you should it can, marry, it can be. It can be. Cultish. Oh, absolutely. It's that radical autonomy of. Well, if a pastor or a church member has anything to say about anything in my life that I might not like, then they're oppressing me. But the, but the thing is, if you th- it's it's funny that we're thinking about this and people think that it's odd. But if you have relationships with people, mm-hmm. you're going to have discussions about big decisions in your life. Right, you're going to talk to your sure. friends about that sure. stuff. Absolutely. There's yeah. safety in the multitude of counselors. Right. You should so, know that. So what you're saying is, is you're not friends with anybody in your church. Right. You're, you're not, not, not really. You're not plugged in in any form or fashion. You know, I joke around with our people. Um, you know, the shaking howdy time um, in church that what if one Sunday people were, Passing the were, peace. were serious and like honest and the germs, you know, and honest. So there's been Sundays that I've gone around when we shook hands and they're like, oh, good morning. How's your morning? I'm like, terrible, man. My kids wouldn't get dressed this morning. And, and I literally stand there though, and I do it on purpose and they just laugh. But, you know, we try to put on this facade. Everything's mm-hmm. good, you know, and, and we, we, we don't let people into our lives and we just want that little bit of little jesus sprinkle and then well it's like probably i don't know three or four weeks ago i had had a really bad week at work and was just i was just struggling and some people could tell sunday morning that i just was not feeling right and i got up to pray and you know my heart was just really heavy and there was a a church member that went up to one of the pastors and said uh, we need to have prayer for ben at the end of service today and i had no idea and so the end of service they called me up and they just said hey listen Ben's had a tough week this week and we're going to have all the elders and deacons come up here and we're going to lay hands on him and pray for him and we want y'all to join us in doing that and it was a very humbling thing but it was one of those things where they acknowledged that there was a part of the body that was hurting you know we've had people do that before where they've had a situation going on and we just bring them up and say you know we we just need to they knew when someone had need right they knew it how do they know it? You don't know if somebody has a need if you're not involved at all. Right. Yeah. And when we had somebody reach out to us, we don't have a lot of benevolence requests in the church. Right. Um, but we had somebody reach out to us recently and said, hey, I'm, I'm in a tough situation and, and I need some help financially and I just want to ask. And one of our pastors said, listen, if we can't do it for him, we can't do it for anybody. If he's a member of this church and we have the ability to meet the need, then we're called to meet the need right. or sure. we're in sin. Sure. And so we were able to do that and it was it was a blessing you know, to this person. Um, but like you said, the, those things have to be known. If you're not real with people, I've, I've met people, especially like widows, you know, they'll be in the church and they'll, they'll be struggling. They'll be having a, a some problem with their house or something like that. They don't want, they're embarrassed to tell anybody. And it's like, listen, there's people that want to help you that will take care of you, but you got to be honest about what's going on with you. Yeah. Well, in, in, we were talking about the ordinance of baptism a while ago. Think about the other ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. How can you have, quote, communion, which means to have that fellowship together, unless you're part of a local church? That's where uh, it's going to happen. That's where you're going to decide, well, this person's eligible for the Lord's Supper or or they're not, because you know whether they're converted or not. Otherwise, you know, you can't participate in... So you're saying we should have closed communion? I'm, I'm not advocating that necessarily, but I'm saying if you believe that then certainly there'd be no way to do it unless, you know, you've got that local fellowship. But I would say having the authority the authority to declare, you know, if you're not a part of the body of Christ here with us today, then you're not really invited. It's a family meal. And, and <laughs> you know, you, you can you can see this, you can observe, you can learn from it. But until you've experienced it, it's nothing but, a, you know, an unleavened sliver of bread and, and a little grape juice in a cup. It's all it'll ever be for to you unless you come to faith in Christ. But it, but again, beyond that, it's just if you don't have a group of folks, you know, in a building together or gathered together in a field somewhere underneath a thatched roof in a jungle hut, if if you don't have that collection of people, 
you can't even observe the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's required to be able to administer that. So, but some pe- some people would argue, well, I don't have to be a member of a church to do that. If I'm just a part of the universal, then church. where where will they do it? How will they do it? You're saying like like if I were to visit your church and you didn't know me, is that what you're talking well, about? well, well, so. But even but even so, you are in so we, a physical locale with right. a group of people. Correct, but I mean, I've I've had people so we we fence so we fence the, I know this we fence a, the table. We don't we don't do members you have only to jump communion. The fence to do it. I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow, I mean, well, we warn people build that wall uh, if you are if you. This is for people that are saved and are not in unrepentant sin, and that's what we say. And if you're not saved or if you're in unrepentant sin, then uh, you're going to eat and drink damnation on yourself if you take son like bring it. <laughs> um, I think that's, because that's because Bible. yeah because we do we do take it we do take it seriously but we would uh, we tell people you don't have to be a member of this church you just need to be a, a brother or sister in Christ okay um, and and we have decided to let Presbyterians take it too even though they're not baptized mm-hmm. which is, uh, <laughs> so we, we liberal kinda, we make a little a little bit of an exception there sounds like a very pragmatic thing to do <laughs> I know. Even, it even sounds attractional. It does. It does sound just, attractional. I, I, I'm not you want Presbyterians in your church? I'm not going to blame that. Um, I have some Presbyterians <laughs> in my church, uh, I, and I love them. But back to the point. The, <laughs> point. the point is that if you are not in a physical locale with a group of people right. professing faith, then you can't really have the Lord's Supper. Right. If you're just that person out there, where wherever, I would even say. And, and there have been times I've gone to a rest home or with a shut-in and they can't come and, and had the Lord's Supper, but I would want some deacons to come with me, maybe some of our staff, so that there's a group of people, the body, to to give them that fellowship and not just me going out there and giving somebody some unleavened bread. And yeah, it's not it's not really communion juice. if it's just one person. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So what so. What would you say to the person who, you know, say they've been coming, to, they've been regularly attending your church for five years. I mean, they're in a group, they're in a Sunday school class. Maybe they're even volunteering somewhere in the church, but they've never joined. They take the Lord's Supper. They do all that. So they seem to have pretty much all the benefits of membership except voting. And you approach them and you say. And they can't hold positions uh, of leadership. Right. And so you approach them and you say, hey, you know, uh, you've been coming here a long time. You know, have you considered membership? And they're like, well, I don't really need to do that because. I'm a Christian and, you know, just, you know, walking an aisle or filling out a form or something doesn't make me a member of the church. Being saved makes me a member of the church. Can't point to a verse in the Bible that says you've got to uh, be voted on or something like that. So what what would you say to that person? Well, I would have them question uh, the reality of their relationship with the Lord, because if, if there's not a love for the people, then there's not a love for God. What if they say that they love the people? Well, I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't love people because they come, obviously. Again, talk is cheap. And, <laughs> you know, I, I can tell my wife that I love her, and she wants me to say that. Right. But she wants me to demonstrate it. And if you're not investing in the lives of other folks, you know, there, there's something, maybe it's a lack of understanding where they, they need to, to grow, they need confrontation, but there's definitely the need for repentance. Right. Because, again, we, I believe, and I think you guys do as well, that it's biblical to be a member of a local church. It's according to the Word of God. So if I've got somebody that's just a hanger-on, just, you know, uh, an attendant, maybe they're a parasite. You know, they're just sucking up all the blessings without <laughs> delivering anything, you know. Well, I think it was a situation. I, we dealt with this. I had two things on this. I dealt with this at a former church that I was a part of that was a church plant that had been around for a while. The reality was it wasn't organized. And so they didn't have any form of membership at all. And so um, they didn't have bylaws, constitution, anything like that. So me, I'm like, I've got to, we've got to get this together. And so when we presented membership, we had some serious pushback because people were like, I've been here. I've been a part of this. I've gone from here and here and here and and so forth and so on. And I mean, it was this uh, extreme pushback against it on and on and on. And and it basically boiled down to, they, they didn't want to be held accountable. I mean, that's kind of what it pulled down to. And one more, they didn't want to submit to authority. And and this is a PG 13, but this, this, this guy, he, he kind of chimed in. He goes, so y'all are basically wanting friends with benefits. And it was true. He's like, you're avoiding commitment. He's like, you're avoiding the marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like yeah. you're 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 avoiding that commitment, and so 
they never did membership and we left. But the other thing is, and, and I'm dealing with this right now, and, and maybe y'all can speak to it at our church, is I've got several folks, one lady in particular says she's a Christian, but she's been terrified of water. So she's never been baptized, therefore she's never been a member. I've also got some ladies who were members of another church with their husbands for a long period of time. Their husbands passed away, so they don't want to join another church from a ceremonial standpoint. And so I'm really trying to, we're trying to revamp our membership deal because we had almost 80, not 80, 75 something people that were dead on our roll once we cleaned it. But the thing that I'm trying to get through to people is basically saying I'm a member, you can count on me. You can count on me for my giftings. You can count on me for my talents. You can count on me for the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. You can count on me. And so, um, but I'm dealing with that. So how do, how do you deal? It's kind of the similar situation where like the woman apparently has a true fear of water. I mean, and I'm like, I don't, I, I've baptized people that way and, and they forcefully they were, <laughs> almost, almost strap them in. Now, now, not for them to come into the, the baptistry, but I, I remember one young lady that uh, she was a Presbyterian and that is why she believed what we believed and she was actually converted, but she, she would not take a bath. She'd take a shower, thank the Lord, <laughs> but she would not get into water. Right. So to get her into the baptistry was a work of God. Right. And, and he can do that. The power of God's word and our investment in prayer and love in their behalf can overcome those fears because perfect love casts out fear. Right. And, and, it, and it can happen. Right. Right. And then the ceremonial thing, I think, like I said, the that's what I'm trying to get through them is you can count on me. And so also, what do you think about the folks who, like you said, 600 and something people on your roll? So did you guys purge it? Did you purge the role? How, how did you deal? How do y'all deal with that? With like, we have, we have active membership and inactive membership. And I'm, that drives me bonkers because I don't think there is such a thing. And we're getting ready to tackle that. But what do y'all think about that? Well, I'm going to say in tackling that, you, you have to use some caution. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you can't be a bull in the china shop. Uh, but you need to be moving toward cleaning that role in, first of all, I think, trying to contact those people. I mean, these are sheep that have gone astray for whatever reason. And we may not confine them, but we have a responsibility to attempt to find them. But barring that, if they've entered into a covenant and they've abandoned the love that they promised, then at some point in time, a, a divorce needs to take place. And, and after attempts at reconciliation, then the church has the authority to exclude them. Uh, because if they've forsaken assembling of themselves together, there's a sp- there's they're in spiritual rebellion. Yeah, I would say I don't think it's you know loving to just kick people to the curb for no good reason or even for a good reason. It's just not loving to do it in that way. So for us, it was it was about a year long process where we got a list together of everybody. Um, there were a lot of people, a couple hundred people in our role that we didn't have any contact information. We had a book where they had signed their name and a date of membership, and that was it. And so we went through a process during our member meetings where. We printed out the entire list for every member and said, we're going to go name by name through this list. And if you know that they're a member at another church, if you know that they've died, if you know that they're still in town here or if they've moved away, we're going to start by just kind of trying to see how much we can find out about everybody. And so we narrowed that down to, like I said, there was 50 of them that, that had died. Um, there was, uh, many of them had moved to Florida or, you know, somebody knew them personally and said, you know, I know that they're not in town here anymore, or I know that they're a member of another church now and they just never transferred their letter, you know, different things like that. And then all the ones that we had, there was about a hundred, 125 that we had got some contact information for. So we sent all of them a letter and said, you know, we just want to let you know you're still listed on, on the role for membership. If you're interested, we would love to have you come back to the church and we'll be offering a, a new members class where you can come and you know learn about how membership works here now and what you would need to do in order to become an active member. And then we voted uh, at that time that you know anybody that was remaining on that either that we didn't have contact information for or we had no information that basically they would be put on an inactive status while we were investigating that. And then towards the end of the year, once we had confirmed all that information, we went 
through you know every name on that list for about an hour and read it and stopped at the end of each page and said, you know, we're going to make a motion at the end of the meeting that these people are removed from the list. If there's anybody on here that you have an objection about or you have a question or concern, you know, we're going to stop at the end of each page. And we read through all those lists. And then um, at the end of that, we brought a motion to remove those people from the role and the church approved that. And so now I personally know every single person on our membership list. And to give you an idea, I think our membership list is between like 100 and 115 people, and we average about 100 on Sunday morning. So so it's accurate to the people that we actually know and are caring for. But that was about a year-long process. It's, it's, it's a great approach, and I think the more we can do up front uh, in terms of uh, having a credible testimony that's given – a membership class that conveys to them the expectations of the church and their responsibilities, uh, a willingness to offer correction and and even exclusion, uh, discipline. The more that we do up front in those things will help us on the back end not to have this backlog of people that are just, you know, hangers on and just come in and, and then they're and they're quickly gone so we've got to wrap this up i would commend to you a little book called church membership how the world knows who represents jesus written by jonathan lehman it's one of the nine marks books on a healthy church it's only about uh, you know 130 some pages and would make a great resource to have a, a member training class and to help with the, le- the leaders of the church to establish that kind of of confessional, convictional membership that is really responsible. And so we appreciate y'all tuning in. We hope you have a great Lord's Day. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.